Our guest this episode was born and raised in the UK in East Anglia. In December of 2019, she became a U.S. citizen. She's a vocal improviser, which means that she sings without knowing what she's going to sing, both alone and with others. And she's also a teacher, a very skillful teacher, I might add. Our guest developed her musicianship chops through studying with well-known vocal improvisers, Rhiannon and Bobby McFerrin, as well as with bassist and guitarist David Ashkenazi and Indian master singer Atul Kumar Upadi. In 2017, she recorded the album Listen, an album of completely improvised vocal music with her quintet called The Elements. She has two albums coming out in 2020. While she performs in ceremonial contexts such as weddings, blessings, and grief rituals, as well as regular gigs throughout the UK and America, our guest is also very much a helper, healer, priestess of sorts. She's trained with Dr. Melissa Michaels of the Soma Source Leadership Training, and she works with people who've experienced trauma and oppression. I personally have had the honor to both witness and experience her capacity to hold sacred space and the therapeutic nature of her work. We are so honored and pleased to welcome our guest, Bryony Greenhill. Welcome to Meaningful Musical Conversations, where we have heart-to-heart talks about music and life. I'm Jill Minier. And I'm Daniel Townsend. So today we have, to my left, Bryony Greenhill. Bryony, thank you so much for coming all the way out. Oh, thanks for inviting me, Jill. So um, listeners, just so you know, Bryony and I met recently. I think it was maybe a couple of weeks ago, actually two weeks ago. So I started taking a workshop with Bryony here in California, and... I'm trying to remember what the name of the workshop is. <laughs> oh, it's very technical. It's called the California Extended Program. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's vocal improv training yeah. at the kind of intermediate to advanced level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's an extended program. Yeah. So it's three days, two to three days uh, in a weekend, four times, I believe. Yeah. Wow. Over the course of four months. So, um, yes. And I am absolutely loving loving the program and I'm just I actually found out about you just through something on Facebook that Mm. actually one of our podcast guests our previous guests had posted that she was interested in doing and so I looked at your promo materials online and just got a great sense about you and um, so I'm thrilled to not only have you here today um, to talk with us but also to be in your program. Mm. Well, I'm thrilled to have you, Jill. It's, I love what you do with voice and music and singing and, yeah, in your way. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. So um, I would love to hear actually about a little bit more about where you do, what, what you do and where you've come from, actually. Because you, are you from Wales originally or no, from London? I'm from, I'm from the opposite side of the country. I'm from the far east of England, East Anglia. Okay. Yeah, originally. I mean, I haven't lived there since I was 16, but mm-hmm. that's where it all began. <laughs> yeah. And, and so you want to know what I do? Yeah. So what you do and maybe, yeah, um, how you first started doing it, where you grew up and just... <gasps> okay. There's lots of questions. Yeah, <laughs> I know it is. So you get to pick where you want okay. to start from. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
Um, so I'm a vocal improviser. And it means that I sing without knowing what I'm going to sing. I just make it up as I go along. Um, and I do that alone and I do it with other instrumentalists and I do it with other singers. And um, so as an artist, I, I perform and I record and I, I just sing straightforward gigs and I sing at things like Extinction Rebellion where you can use, which is a an environmental, I want to say sort of protest movement in London and you can use improvisation to kind of sing to what's just happening right now uh, so it has this beautiful agility um, and also I often bring it to kind of ceremonial context so people will have me sing their weddings like sing the bride down the aisle sing a blessing for the marriage when it's happening or sing at things like grief rituals and so the the adaptability of vocal improvisation makes it applicable for a lot of different kind of human mm -hmm. circumstances yeah. so that's my artistic life and then and then I teach and mm -hmm. I teach in Britain and in America and I've had invites to teach in other countries as well but I just <laughs> haven't been adventurous enough to say yes yeah, to yeah. find my way to Russia or Brazil yeah. or um, these places so yeah and I suppose in my teaching there's a couple of there's two or three aspects there's a kind of quite a technical musical aspect like okay let's study vocal musicianship music theory for singers through the voice ear and body um and there's often also kind of more of a spiritual dimension like using vocal improv for prayer and um and it has a mysterious aspect you know like where does it come from where you don't have a composition there's no composer but music comes so people often ask where does it come from? And different cultures of vocal improv have different answers to that question. And I suppose I have my own. And, um, and then it often has quite a kind of therapeutic element because when you don't have a um, composition and there's just an empty page, <laughs> yes, you know, to yeah. sing into, often what comes up is your own inner life material. Um and so that ends up coming into groups and, and, and so then we support one another in working with that. Um, and then that, over time, that turns out to be quite transformational for people. So that's, that's about what I do, yeah. Well, I want to just kind of jump in and, <clears throat> and uh, just say, um, <laughs> that's the, number one, that's, there are so many, um, there's such a, a rich bunch of things that you just said there, mm. I'm just kind of overwhelmed. Um, but, but what I wanted to say was just say a little bit about my experience after the workshop. Um, I noticed that I was having really uh, significant, powerful dreams and also just waking up in the middle of the night and having that sense of stillness and um, just really being connected to something immaterial but real that um, some kind of wisdom and knowing. And I used to wake up actually a lot like that. And I don't wake up so much like that anymore. And I miss that. And so I feel like, you know, the workshop just, I didn't know that that was going to happen, but it's really helping me to kind of re reconnect in a deeper way, you know, to my soulfulness um, mm -hmm. and longings and things like that. So mm. I just want to say thank you also for that. Oh, oh it's my pleasure. And... Mm -hmm. Um, it's not my doing 
But I'm a carrier, I suppose, mm-hmm. of an approach. But um, it makes a lot of sense to me. You know, I've had quite, um, I suppose, the last three weeks or so, I've I've been on a pause with my own musicianship while various other things have needed my time. And I really miss it. I can't mm-hmm. wait to get back to it. But... Um, a couple of days ago, I was standing by an ancient redwood with my elder and I said, uh, I said, let's sing to the redwood. Um, and my elder said, you first. I said, no, you first, go on. And she did. And she and she very bravely sung her song she likes to sing, which has taken her a lot to be able to open her mouth like that. And then she said, OK, your turn. So I opened my mouth and I just improvised and I and I sort of sung the tree and almost sung, found myself singing kind of a conversation between me and the tree or singing the relationship between Connie and the tree and me and Connie and the tree. And it felt like it opened me up or re-nested me into what I think are called Dita Doom calls the sacred matrix, which is the kind of the, the shared um, life between and within you and me and the tree and the wind and the birds and the sunrise and the sunset and the living and the dying and the whole thing. And it's like a, it's like being a berry on a vine in a web of life where we're all connected and we can all feel each other and kind of share share these pulses of aliveness mm-hmm. that, that dance through us and yeah. with us and in us. Um, and I feel like we can be kind of in and out of that would we call it state of consciousness mm-hmm. or in and out of that connectivity? And I feel like a lot of life will bring us out of it. Mm-hmm. And there's some things that are very trustworthy at reconnecting us to it. And, and vocal improv seems to be one of those yeah. things that just very reliably back we are, back in the web of yes. belonging with all of life. Yes. You know, I realize as you're talking that... Um, well, so many things. But <clears throat> as I began to study, you know, theory and work really hard on learning pieces and all of that, that, um, of course, it developed some skills in a certain way. But I kind of stopped doing what originally I used to do was just to improvise for a couple of hours every day, you know, when I was um, just actually on the piano. But that was, you know, many years ago when I was 25. And that when I wasn't studying and, you know, which was, I don't know, like for 30 years, <laughs> basically up until recently, I would, um, you know, in the morning especially, just go down to the piano and just sing and play and just let whatever came out come out. And it would always just connect me so deeply with myself. And I just want to say, like, front of everybody, man, I need to do that. I would like to do that on a regular basis <laughs> yeah. as part yeah. of my morning practice. Yeah. Ditto. It, because you know what? I hate to admit this, but I do pick up my phone first thing in the morning. I look at my phone, you know, and I do, oh, I scroll like through Facebook. Else. <laughs> yeah. you, know? you know, and yeah. I will say that I've made so many amazing connections in real life through Facebook, including you. <clears throat> um, but that said... And Rhiannon and Devi. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? It's like, yeah, I'm just saying that out loud right now. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this is my, this is an edge for me exactly. And, you know, I used to wake up and meditate mm-hmm. and then do an hour of yoga. And now I wake up and 
and I, I lie around on my phone for a bit until yeah. I feel like doing something else. And it's like, here's a question, like, what does this do to your consciousness? What does this do to your day? And I'm still in a personal question about that. And, and the same as you, like, hallelujah for Facebook. Thanks for <laughs> Facebook. It's so connective, enabling... I mean, there's a lot of good things about it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just made a deal with myself that like, okay, now like I've been traveling a lot and here and there, and now I'm, I'm kind of bedding down for about the next 10 weeks, staying put in one place. And it's like, right, cool. The first thing that happens is an hour at the keyboard with my earphones mm -hmm. on, you know, because yeah. so, after yeah. I wake up pretty early and you don't want to like wake everybody else up. But I think that's my meditation, you know, that's my practice yeah. and... Boy, is it beautiful. Mm. And I love it when I just roll out of bed and straight into sound. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, mm. this, yeah. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. So, Bryony, um, what was your childhood like? I mean... On what level? Um, let, uh -huh. Tell well, me about start. your mother. <laughs> uh, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, like your music, what what was going on musically there? Did your parents listen to music? Where's oh, music? Yeah. When did oh, you start yeah. singing? Oh, always. Um, both my parents were singers, and it was a very singy household. And um, I think some of my earliest memories are being like four and sitting halfway up the stairs and singing at the top of my <laughs> voice. Yeah. And like. I realize, as I work with more and more students, I realize this is a very unusual experience and like nobody asked me to shut up. And I, I have a big voice and at four, I think it was still pretty big. And you know, like halfway up the stairs, everywhere in the house, you can be heard. Yes, <laughs> it's not a downstairs yeah. thing or an upstairs thing. It's like, a, no, this, I'm taking yeah. over with this really loud song. And yeah, nobody ever said, please be quiet. Oh. And... Um, my dad was always singing around the house and that was a very common sound. And my mum had a really pretty voice and would sing me lullabies as a baby. Wow. And, you know. and then dad was always playing classical music on the stereo all the time. So my ears really cooked in a mm -hmm. kind of classical music environment. Um, and then I guess as, it, as I got older and started to take music lessons, then the kind of the classical dominance started to be more of a hindrance. Because like I was given piano lessons and it was like dots, do the dots. And I was like, mm, yeah. And then I was improvising and composing. And then at some point they sat me down. They said, look, you're just improvising and composing. So we're going to take your piano lessons away. Because like, and I still have, I have so much pain about that. I became a piano teacher to like, to give scores of other children the piano teaching mm. that I didn't get yeah. which is like mm. hey you're improvising and composing therefore you're creative yes. therefore you're musical now let me teach you about the chords mm. and the chord numbers and the chord relationships let's learn little cadences let's look at key signatures can you play in D major can you play in G major yeah. how about A minor how yeah. about you know and um it was a kind of um I suppose in Britain in the 1980s which is when this was happening there simply wasn't in my local area in my school in the family it wasn't available this kind of ear-based chopsy approach to and I would say chopsy like do you know your chords do you know your scales do you understand rhythm can you play by ear can you understand what's happening can you join in by ear um, that wasn't in the culture at all. So people didn't have teaching tools for it. People didn't have, it just wasn't the thing. People had a dots-based culture. It was like, can you read dots is the question of, can you can you join in mm. is the same as, can you read dots and yeah. play them nicely on whatever instrument? So I suppose 
I've then in my in my pain <laughs> around having my piano lessons oh taken my away. Um, and then it kind of, I mean, I didn't really touch back into that till I was about 29. Mm. And um, and basically, for so, oh, yeah, mm, that's another story. But okay, let's stick to it. <laughs> stick to a thread. Um, it, it just became kind of my passion. Like, no, this matters, this, like, ear-based... Uh, we don't need dots to be musical. Like, I do read music, and it is very helpful to have that, to have written language. But, like, um, I do really value understanding rhythm, harmon rhythm, harmony, and melody from a non-dots-based perspective yeah. and just the capacity to create music, improvise, play by ear, join mm -hmm. in, right, and, right. and be competently musical mm -hmm. alone and with others. Well, you know, I have to say that that's one of the things that's so appealing to me about what you do is that is that anybody and everybody can do it yeah. and that it's really about community and connection and, and play. We're playing with each other mm. and allowing ourselves to just be silly and have whatever comes up come up. And um, it's, it's also just completely beautiful and everything is a surprise. I love, I just love <laughs> surprises and... I don't know. It's so exciting. And I just love, I'll say it again, I love the fact that anybody can do it. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't take some skill or whatever. And we're, but the skills that we're developing in doing it, being able to be connected to yourself as well as listen to what's going on in the group. And, you know, the, I, I think that these skills that we're developing are so applicable to relationships just in general. Like being able to stay connected to yourself while you're in conversation with another, mm. which is yeah. something that I'm working with, by the way, and doing these podcasts, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. so um, do you want to say something about that? Like when we're in a group situation, um, being connected to yourself and being connected in the group? Yeah. I mean, with vocal improv, it, on one level, it's very technical. And then on another level, it applies to so much of life so when you're improvising like if we were all singing improvisingly together we would have to be listening inside to like what music is coming up within each of us yes. that wants to come out of our voice and we'd have to be listening outside what's happening and how can I find the sweet the sweet spot between my impulse and the context and serve this sound that we're making and kind of yeah listen to what the sound wants to do listen mm -hmm. and and ideally at some point um those things all blur into one as we kind of merge into a bit of a shared consciousness and into a bit of an emergent consciousness where it's just oh yeah music's just happening and it's just it's <laughs> just putting true. itself yeah. out of my mouth yeah. to to be in this living thing that yeah. is, that's coming from us all you know but before that it's a bit more of a conscious inner listening and outer yeah. listening and so That does take some capacity building mm -hmm. um, because it is a lot of people find that quite hard to do simultaneously. Either the awareness is just completely with the other person and we kind of forget ourselves or we're with ourselves and we're actually not really, like not, not genuinely listening to you, mm -hmm. um, taking you in, perceiving, receiving you. So the capacity to do both things is is slightly like patting your head and rubbing your yeah, it's doing a lot at once. But once yeah. you have that, you know, you can introduce it into all sorts of relating 
and it's and it really supports quite beautiful connection on a, on a lot of levels with conversation with dancing with intimacy mm-hmm. with yeah all the yeah. things mm. i'm curious if you have a memory of the first time you experienced that for yourself sort of coming together with people in the collective consciousness and being able to create kind of serve the uh the overarching picture you know do you have like oh, there's a few times yeah. Um, Thank you, a lot of it, you know, I got deeply into this practice in my 30s. So in my 20s in the in British festivals, mm-hmm. it was like going to things and like tripping into musical dissolving bliss. Like, I'm like, what just happened? I suppose <laughs> two things that come to mind. One was oh, a man who's who's passed on quite recently, a guy called Chartwell de Tiro, who is Shona, he's from Zimbabwe, but was living in England for many decades. And he he had us, he played the Mbira, the Zimbabwean yes. thumb piano, and he had, I don't know, 80 people sitting in a tent, English people at a festival called Tribe of Darson. And he had us sing this song, and I came in a bit late, found my seat, and and sort of didn't quite learn the song because they'd already learned, so I had to kind of, you know, figure it out, like, oh, yeah. okay. And I was like, okay, I've got the song. And then we carried on singing it, okay. And I was like, no, I've got the song. Uh, are we going to do anything else? Like, should I leave? <laughs> this is getting pretty dull. And then it was like, um, yeah, it was one of my first experiences of my consciousness so, so shifting. And it was like, I had no body. And it was like we'd all kind of taken off from the song and each of our voices were like particles in a realm of smoke that was moving. It was very musical. We were all singing, all 80 of us. And it was like, yeah, the smoke has its own life to it and each of our voices are particles in this, you know, I suppose like a starling murmuration or like a... um, and I remember afterwards describing it to a friend. I said it was like I dissolved in God's heart. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very, very beautiful. And then we all kind of came down to earth at the end after yeah. like an hour and like all sat in a silence for a long time, just like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> what just happened? Wow. And then I think another time was um, a different festival called Buddhafield and a woman called Kim had just come back from India and uh, she had a little, there was like the official events board and then there was like the sideboard for just like handwritten notes that people put up and hers was a handwritten note like Indian classical singing for women in the TP over there bring chocolate for the gatekeeper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so these women showed up. Like, like, I don't know, 10 women or something came uh. the first morning with our little bars of chocolate for Kim. And... Um, and she said, you know, I'm not a professional. I'm not, I've just been in India and I love this and I'm just offering it as a sharing if you want. Yeah. And I'd had singing lessons in Britain from the age of like 14 and it had been, this is, I'll come back to Kim, but this was just for the contrast really. And the singing teacher was like, all oh, right, you've got a marketable voice. So here's opera technique, here's jazz technique, here's musicals technique, you know, here's all the techniques, like oh, these kind of yeah. add-on yeah, totally. features mm-hmm. to my voice. And then this approach that, that Kim shared with us was, was opposite. It was like, come into your body, breathe into your belly and just sing one note and be curious, like what sound does your body make? You have a unique sound from your tissues, your, your DNA, your person. Mm. What's your tone? Um, and so we did so much like long toning together. 
and gradually she taught us an Indian scale, the Ayur Bharav scale. Uh, I still remember it 20 years later. And um, and then on the last day, we did this little round of solos. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think it was the first time I'd done like an official improvised solo in the Ayur Bharav scale. And it felt so delicate just finding mm-hmm. each note. And afterwards, everyone was kind of in tears. And, and then it, I'd finished and I touched my neighbor's knee and it kind of went round the circle and they were all just singing these long notes holding the bass as solo after solo came in the circle. And it was like, it was like that kind of trance state again, that dissolving just sound. And it was like the sound was kind of pulsing inside the tent. And I didn't really know what was me or what was the others or the di- there was maybe no difference between me and the sound. I was the sound. And, and we came out at the end and me and this woman just looked at each other and we just like, we just made magic in there. Like yeah. magic just happened in there. And there's such a boy. I saw her a year or Polly, her name is. She came to one of my workshops and we were like, it's you. You were there. It was real. And we both just lit up like it was really magical, wasn't it? It was like, yeah. And I, I think, I don't know, as I say these, these um, I think what's interesting is that neither of these is like a Western form it was Indian music it was the Mubri and Shona music it's like oh like what what are these potencies of music mm-hmm. that I suppose weren't in the musical cultures I grew up with you know they weren't happening at school they weren't happening in family they weren't happening in, in England mm-hmm. um, but they are they seem to be like there in what's possible with music and and one another and particularly with voice and bringing voices together and I'm speechless. (laughs) I think I went a a little bit of a ride with you there. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I, you know, I kind of, I'm thinking about actually um, the experience that I had at your workshop, where we all did. We held um, a long tone, Mm. actually, and then we did what you call our creative um, creature language. Creature language. Yeah. uh, also known as gibberish. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, and, yeah. And we each went so we we held a tone, mm-hmm. and this went on for thirty minutes. Um, so we held a long tone. Every I, I don't remember how many of there what, were. It's like 15, 15, fifteen, yeah. And then each person had what was it thirty seconds or? It wasn't a time thing, and oh, people yeah, I think right. took yeah took a minute or two to do a solo in. Yeah, so each person soloed over the drone, mm-hmm. and. And then we stopped. And after we stopped, it was it was that magic because the room was just really it was full of silence. And as I had mentioned then, it it had brought me into just an, an automatic state of of meditation of of quiet internal quiet, and it was um, divine. Mm-hmm. So. I love you. Do so many pieces in the workshop so far. There's so many, so many pieces to it, and the sound healing piece as well, which um, maybe we can get into a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. How are you doing over Sorry, there, Brian? I just, I just had a big lunch, and my belly feels oh, no. large. So I'm just <laughs> covering it up with my guardian. <laughs> I know the feeling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
I was hoping to talk to you about, since we're on the subject of this, um, you've kind of created a very interesting thing that I didn't know existed, which is a vocal group, right, of um, improv vocals, right? Um, the name I have here, The Elements, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that was sort of 2012 and 2017, you created an album with them, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to hear about how you put that together and what that is like as a process. I'm very curious. Oh my God, what a great question. <laughs> okay, actually, can we pause yeah. and play that right now? A oh, piece yeah. from um, Essence? Of course. And then we'll hear all about it. Yeah. Cool, okay, here it comes. the track Co-Conspirator from the album called Listen by The Elements. One of the things that I'm just stru so struck by is the support of other people just together, this sense of coming together and building is not the right word, but it's hard to find the right words, yeah. honestly, but <clears throat> um, I... I the experience of listening to other people coming together with their voices and, and supporting and augmenting um, what the soloist, mm. and that was you. Actually, it was me and, and, and Green. Yeah, and this... Sorry to interrupt. No, go, you're right. It was your words and her um, doing maybe... It's doing the melody voc um, solo over it, part of it. Was she... That's the thing. You don't even have these clear roles yeah. of, like... Mm. Now it's Brian. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you do sometimes you have mm -hmm. a form where it's like, okay, now Daniel is the soloist. But otherwise, it's just, it's just this, ah, oh, now this is coming to yeah, me. That's... Now I have the words. Here they are. So I had the first words for a while. And then Green has the words. Mm -hmm. You think you've done everything wrong, but your whole life is wrong. That's Green coming in. Mm. And even my parents listening to the CD, they were like, wait, when is it you singing? When is it Shay? When is it great? You know, so they're quite interchangeable voices in a way. But um, yeah, this deep yes that we have towards our collaborators and this, and this, co this compassion, this generosity, this support, yes. this welcome of whatever is coming out of your mouth, I've got your back. 
And it's partly, I would say, because of the spiritual idea inherent in the art form, like my Indian um, my Indian classical voice teacher, he would say, you know, when, when we're when we're improvising, it's like the God train comes through us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if if it's kind of like mystery, nature, uh, emergent, geist, yeah. life, spirit, whatevs, you know, um, it's like, oh, what's it bringing you? Oh, this is, oh, it's bringing this in me now. Mm-hmm. It's this kind of this curious... Um, almost sacred holding of 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 the music that's arising, and it's not. It's kind of the opposite of an egoic, competitive yeah. world. It's a it's a shared, celebratory, trusting, yeah. supportive, yeah, world. Yeah, and where in our daily lives do <clears throat> most of us get to experience that? You know, honestly. And I don't know about anybody else, but I long for that. I'm hungry for that. Mm. I love that. Oh, thank you. I, we, I just want to clarify also yeah. that that was, um, would you again say the name of the band is? The Elements. Elements. Yeah. And that uh, track, well, actually, that, that track, we'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm certainly curious about, um, wow, so many things come up for me, um, but... The the op like, the way you guys went about recording that, I'm really curious. Did you walk in with an idea of a concept of a song, yeah. or did you just yeah. walk in and it happened? And then that was improv. Pure improv is um, the starting point. Is always what what I now call the improviser's void. It's the putting your bags down. It's the not having an idea. It's the not having a plan. And then the listening. You know, the, the, the quiet and the listening, it kind of begins and ends in the, in the quietness, really. Like, oh, what's, what's here right now? And not even 10 seconds ago when I might have made a plan, but like right now. And, and then maybe it starts to tickle at your imagination. Oh, it's a bit like this. And maybe somebody else will come up with something completely different. You're like, okay, <laughs> scratch that. Let's, let's yeah, go with this. Yeah. So um, let's see. The elements were a quintet. Yes. And... Um, we started to sing together in 2012 um, and we didn't record anything for years and then the guys started to just bring out their Zooms and record sessions and so um, the piece Stairwell New Definition, which which you might have played, I'm yes, not sure. Might have. <laughs> um, was you know we liked to go to the to the stairwell in the UC Berkeley anthropology department because it's like five stories and mm. it's really echoey and resonant so we just love to go in there and jam and Christopher had the zoom on on the back stair and we listened to it and we're like oh like we're ready to start recording now for a long time we didn't really know if our music had any value to anyone else like it was definitely very nourishing and healing for us but did it did it work as a recorded Right. medium right. not so did sure you, so did you perform at all or was it like a weekly gathering we where you get together we, yeah it was more like us doing our thing and we did okay you know initially it was like lots of people wanted to come and sing with us and we felt really protective of like our quintet and we were like no and we had a meeting we we're like what are we gonna do and we 
I was like, you guys, you know, we're going to have to call ourselves a band and then, <laughs> yeah. and then they'll understand that we're kind of up to something here. So we're like, oh, we're a band. And then we're like, well, if we're in a band, we need, we need a gig. Yeah. <laughs> and to begin with, we just didn't know what to do as performers, you know, and we'd often start lying around on the floor singing. So we said to the audience, mm -hmm. do you want to lie around on the floor and sing too? Yeah. It was, I, sometimes we did a labyrinth and Christopher was like, let's make it like a Native American sweat lodge, but with a labyrinth we had the whole audience walk through a labyrinth singing and pray i mean we did all kinds of stuff and it wasn't until the album launch in 2016 i think um that was when we just stood all the way through the concert to what is it cardioid mics like that have the round mm -hmm. range and just the five of us just standing there with two mics from my boyfriend's grand piano and just improvised piece after piece after piece after piece after piece. So to answer your question about the recording, it was then realizing we were ready and then just booking some studio time. So I think we did about three studio dates wow. <clears throat> and um, and just went in and we always flummoxed engineers. They're like, how are we going to record you guys? You know, you don't want to be separate. You want to hold hands while you're singing. Yeah, <laughs> <it's all laughs> like, we have to be connected to do yeah. this. And... Um, and yeah, and recorded a bunch of stuff and then just just cut out the, the nine pieces that we liked most and put them on an wow. album together. And I have to say, it was that I'm now making an album as a solo artist with like charts and rehearsals and layered instrumentation. And it's a wholly different process. I mean, it's a wholly different sound, but it's also a wholly different process. Are these originals or? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And um, well, they were improvisations mm -hmm. that then I've like, learnt yes. it's kind of reproduced improvisations it's a bit of an experiment with that really and then adding like drum and bass and strings and all the things and uh, so I'm in process with that at the moment but it was such a different process it was just like um because it's just joyful really mm -hmm. to do it it's a deeply pleasurable process so it's just keeping on returning to the silence and piece by piece seeing what music came out yeah. of the moment and then just picking our favorites mm -hmm. Well, I, I just want to bring up this um, piece that you did with your bass player that I heard recently uh, because your car was broken into and all of your stuff was stolen. Would you tell us, um, you know, that story briefly and then we're going to play that track because okay. I was blown away. It's an improvisational piece with you and your bass player. His name is... Tom Mason. Tom Mason. Yeah. So um, just tell us a little bit about oh what happened. God, I know, it's it painful. So it is really painful. So I was, I was on my way to America, so like via London to do some recording. So I, I drove into London with like all my stuff for three months in the States in the back, like two suitcases, my laptop. My, um, I also had my, you know, my keyboard and my recording equipment in the car. And I, on the way to my sister's house where I was staying that night and would have unpacked everything, like I had a meeting and I was like, I said yes to the meeting. I was like, it's okay. I'll just park the car in like a secure car park for an hour and a half and it'll be fine. And in that hour and a half, the window was smashed and everything was taken. Mm. Um, everything, which was one hell of a shock. And, and then the next day we were in the studio recording some of the tracks of the album. 
So you just got to roll. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You just got to pick yourself up, put on yesterday's clothes, yeah. <laughs> go into the yeah. studio. It was like, and then this 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 person was coming in to photograph it. And it was like, oh yeah, this is photo shoot day. It's like I got no makeup. I haven't brushed my hair. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> um, I haven't seen the photos. Maybe they're just so bad. Nobody showed it to me. Anyway, so we did all the recording, and it and it was what it was. And I I think it felt really good. And at the end of the day. <clears throat> We were done with the recordings. We had a few minutes to go. And I just said, Tom, like, could we just do kind of a therapeutic improv? I just, I feel like I've really got to get this off my chest. And he said, sure, what do you want me to do? I just said, whatever you want, just just play something and I'll, and I'll do my thing. So he said, okay. And that's what happened. Wow. 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 And here is that piece. shattered on the floor I don't have my glasses on it looks like glass shattered on the floor by my Teaching, recording equipment, piano, winter coat, my snail shell gone. What do you need from me? What do you need from we to be less desperate to robbery to me? We just heard What Does the Thief Need by. Bryony and bassist Tom Mason. I was just kind of talking about, during this little break we had, um, just talking about how when I, the only reason why I decided to study and do this program with, uh, with Bryony was because I had seen this YouTube video of her that she has on her website, and I recognize her as a sacred space holder. And I was just saying, for me, that is everything. And there's a way to, to hold this, you know, to be this container and hold a space for people to be with the, the 
loving acceptance and just loving presence. And um, yeah, so I appreciate that. If you want to say anything about the sacred container. Mm-hmm. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> Try to stay close to the mic, by the way. Okay. Oh, Jill. <laughs> it's, like, it's like what to say, you know. Um, I've been so blessed with, particularly over the last 10 years, with a lot of really good female teachers and elders mm-hmm. who have all approached the sacred each in their own way. And I suppose as well as taking like good chunks from each of them, they've also, I suppose what they've demonstrated is that you can approach the sacred in your own sweet way. And there's a real delicious authenticity and beauty to that. Um, Yeah, what to say? Like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm working on, I want to make it, kind of a temple for this work mm, in, in yeah. Wales, like, you know, officially like a retreat centre, a place, you know, for me and others to practice and perform and teach and collaborate mm-hmm. and share and record and all the things. Mm-hmm. But yesterday with, with my elder sitting around the fire and I quietly got like, oh, I think it might be like a church or mm-hmm. something. Or a, because, yeah, when you're coming, when you're dealing with the body, mm-hmm. in dealing with the present moment, in dealing with music, which is already this magnificent coyote between the material and the immaterial right you're taking breath you're putting it through your physical body and then you're sending it back out into the air with like sound waves in it you know right then like music is a gift like nobody invented music like it like Alan said, Alan's a dude in the workshop. Oh, we're not meant to mention people by name, but I don't think he's like, <laughs> no, no he's that. like, oh, I, I got issued a voice. You, know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. you have this image of like little pre-baby Alan signing up to be born and he kind of gets this pile of stuff. Right, right. <laughs> like on layer seven, it's like, you're a voice. You know? Right. And it, yeah. And I suppose, I mean, what, what I was going to say to you in the break is is that, is what I struggle with is how much I love this work and how much I want to keep practicing and but the different the number of different irons that are going into that fire right there's the chops piece Mm -hmm. and I never get tired of like studying music theory and each new level I get to I see the next ones and I Mm -hmm. and I'm ambitious about them and um and like when my if my chops start to drop through just getting a bit unfit I miss them, you know, and I want mm, them back yeah. and back I go. So that in itself, as you say, is a whole area of study. And then there's um, just keeping your voice in your body and the somatics of voice mm-hmm. healthy. And then there's um, the surrender practice, like returning to the emptiness, the freedom, the... the and then in there, I would say, comes the bulk of kind of the spirituality because it's the more you surrender, the more fount of creativity comes and you, you realise, oh, right, this is like, this is me plus. Like, I'm in partnership with a bigger aliveness here. And 
And when I surrender to that partnership, it really flies. And when I try and do everything, it kind of deadens it a bit. Mm -hmm. So... Um, and then there's collaboration and then there's just making a blooming living and having yeah. a website and managing your accounts and do it like, you know, paying people and, yes. and all this stuff. And it's like, yep. wow, my head is slightly blown <laughs> by, <laughs> by how much it takes. And then also if you're a singer and an instrumentalist and you want to keep both instruments up and all these things, it's like, whoa, like the job list of a musician is the task list of a musician is like, is, is pretty yeah. extensive. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. good job on the website, by the way. <laughs> oh, that was, that, yeah. that, you know? was me. that was Yaka, but th wow. yeah, thank you. Really nice. And I guess, sorry, I just want to tag on mm. to that. Well, you, you should... I, <sighs> when you're talking earlier about the sacred space holding and stuff, it's like... I guess Shay and Green and I, Shay and Green are two of the singers in the elements, we developed this language of, like, the music room and the temple... And it's like these two departments in an ideal music house or music school. It's like you've got the music room where you study your chops, you one, two, three, four, and you do re, me. And then you've got the temple, which is surrender, authenticity, vulnerability, self-expression, heart, soul, um, spirit, prayer, connection, support, compassion, relationship, self and other awareness, all these things. And it's like, right, they need each other. And it's like the two legs, I would say, I shouldn't should mm. hit the mics out. I say they're like the two legs of musicianship. If you're only hanging out in the temple, your chops muscles can get floppy and it ends up yeah. kind of holding you back a bit. Meanwhile, if you're only hanging out in the music room and you're not visiting the temple regularly, your music can, it's kind of like it dries up a bit, mm -hmm. you know. So it's like, how do we as musicians, as collaborators, as teachers, as music schools, um, how do we keep walking with both of those? legs yeah such a great question yeah. yeah brilliant way of putting that too mm -hmm. i really connect with that quite a bit yes. walking's hard man two legs the arms are moving too yeah. oh my gosh wow. i was thinking about listeners circling all the way back to the beginning here because we were talking about especially with your um story of recently being out at the redwood right and mm. uh experiencing singing with the tree right mm. kind of connecting with that um you mentioned that i'm sure and this is accurate for everyone has their own sort of answer as to i guess in the operation of doing this vocal improv you know it's kind of just coming out and it's hard to explain that in a lot of ways how this music is just flowing through in some way like where are we getting that or how is that being received i wanted to pick your brain about what your answer might be to that specifically to you and kind of how you perceive this connectivity between all you know living things and how you you know process that information how that comes out oh great question daniel welcome Welcome to the Bible. Um, <laughs> yes. Like, I, I think it's interesting, you know, in, if, if like I grew up in a culture without a vocal improv culture, without a visible improv culture, and then, you know, discovered it first of all from India, which is a Hindu, well, it's also Muslim, but the classical music is, is typically in the Hindu mentality. So their, their idea was when you improvise, God is, is playing you or singing you. And then studying with Chartwell and it was Zimbabwe and it was Shona and their religion is very ancestral. So when you're improvising there, it's the ancestors are singing you. And um, my, my spirituality is very earth-based and um, like nature webbed, mm -hmm. I would say. And 
finding kind of finding God in the rising and the setting of the sun and the cycles of life and seasons and the, the magnificence of... Um, <laughs> I've been talking about this with my elder. You know, I put, on, yeah. I put on Facebook when I was trying to kind of wrestle with, like, what do I really think God is? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was kind of like, well, there's kind of this bit and that bit and that bit. I was like, there's kind of three bits. And I was like, oh, it's like the Father, Son, and the Ooh. Ghost. But I was like, well, I don't really want these Christian terms. I don't really want these gendered terms. So I put on Facebook good old Facebook, like, <laughs> what might be the terms for this? Yeah. And uh, this woman in Totnes, Tony Spencer, she replied, what about monkey, minky, slinky? <laughs> <laughs> it made me laugh so hard. I was like, it's that. So monkey, right? The, the ultimate source, the mystery, the, the kind of first and last and total fount of creativity in the universe. Um, then, uh, so that's monkey. So then minky, stuff that is made by that, you, me, the tree, the ocean, the whale, music. And then slinky, the, the Holy Spirit, the, the life force that, that flows through all of those things that we can be more or less open to. Um, and I think most spiritual practices try and help us to, to make room for what we might call slinky. Um, and so... I think vocal improv in this practice of, of listening, of not knowing, of opening, of quietening, of allowing it through is very much, kind of, you know, and if you interview me in 10 years' time, I might have different language for this, but sure. at the moment yeah, I say it's like you're opening to Slinky. You as a minky are saying, hey, <laughs> this is ridiculous but fun. Hey, monkey, I see your Slinky. <laughs> That's what this is crazy. Um, what song yeah. have you got today? And I'm your servant I'm your flute play me mm. um he, he, and I think that's why when I do it you know I feel back in the family of aliveness yeah. um yeah well thank you for that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that puts it into terms I can understand <laughs> monkey minking yeah. minky and slinky, slinky. I love mm-hmm. it <laughs> well gosh you know that conversation just um stimulated this other thought that I would like to explore. Uh, you know, I, you talked about your spirituality being earth-based. <clears throat> and um, I'm trying to figure out how to, like, start this conversation off. But I know that, I, well, in the past, I never really felt that connected to nature. I did as a child, and then I lost it, maybe in my teens, you know, and I got into eating disorders and addictions and things like that. And, <clears throat> um, and eventually I really lost my sense of connection to the earth and to nature. And, you know, I had a lot of issues with my body and trying to make it be a certain way and look a certain way. And, you know, eventually, you know, things like that, well, the, at least the issues around food and disordered eating changed, you know, by the time I was 30, um, Actually, I read a great book by Janine Roth. And anybody out there that struggles, Janine Roth is really an amazing uh, woman. Do you check out her, um, her books? But anyway, um, what I was going to say is that I finally, I don't know how old I was, maybe 36 or something, where I decided to do a vision quest. I was doing my own personal vision quest for three days. And my main intention was to understand the roots of what I called anorexia, but it wasn't just like anorexia around food. It was like anorexia around life, not being able to take in life. I am getting somewhere to something where, you know, here, but, um, 
so I was out there, you know, for these days, and it was very hot. I can't, it was in the Sierra Nevadas, <clears throat> and it was very, very hot, and there were bugs all over, and I was so miserable. I was so miserable. I had no protection from the bugs. And all I can say is, and I used to be very depressed at this time. This is when I had really struggled with a lot of depression. And like doing simple things like, you know, opening the refrigerator door or taking the top off the shampoo bottle was hard. It was that hard for me to just function my daily, my daily life. <clears throat> and the one thing that I loved doing was teaching yoga. And that's where I felt the most connected to myself, to other people, and to spirit. So anyway, um, so I was on this vision quest, and the third day, um, where I just couldn't bear to, like, exist, I stood up and I walked over and I saw there was this little ravine and, you know, kind of like a little creek and then these big, huge mountains. And I literally just decided, I just, I didn't decide. It just kind of, I started to vocalize mm -hmm. and I just started to sing. Mm -hmm. And I, I was singing to the beautiful view, like the mountains, the trees, and I just sang. And I was dancing around, too. <laughs> and it was my, the only way that I could somehow bring pleasure to myself. And as I did that, I had this, like, epiphany. It was that Mother Nature, and interesting, the word, word mother, Mother Nature was there listening to me and, like, giving me this attention. It was it's a kind of a weird thing, but I just felt like Mother Nature was listening had zero expectations of me and wasn't expecting like anything back. Um, I, it was, there was this, a feeling of just listening and celebration of whatever I did. And I can't explain anything other than to say that it was so deeply healing because I experienced a connection between me and this you know, um, environment around me. Finally, it was, I was taken out of this place of having this wall, energetic wall around me. And uh, honestly, like those moments changed my life. And, and then I realized that maybe I wanted to start singing, but I really didn't start singing until, you know, like six years ago. But, and that, so that was like, you know, how many years, 20, 20 years in between that? Oh my God, something like that. Yeah. Mm, yeah. But anyway, I just want to tell that story because I'm wondering with this work and you being, as I see you, kind of this um, priestess that uses voice and vibration of sound and your connection to, you know, all that is, how might this be used with climate change? Because I do see, of course, climate change being about our disconnection from nature, obviously, because we can't if we really felt nature as, you know, the trees and the earth, and we, you could not dump trash into, like, the way that we do. And so I'm wondering how... I'm feeling really yeah. choked up around that, but... Yeah. Anyway, just... What do you... <sighs> have to say about that? I think we should sing. And I think listeners should sing. Just Should we just do a little something? Okay. Okay, we should all do this, because I think everything you've just said is very touching. Um, 
Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to go quiet, medium, loud, medium, quiet. And that's all. And we can, like, come, like, a foot. Or we could even just stand up and the microphones will catch up. So well, how do we be with the microphones? Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. And in it, we can just be with our hearts, be with our feelings, be with it. So stay with what we're feeling and, and let the voice connect with it. So all together, quiet, medium, loud, medium, quiet. We can sing anything. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to work with what the other people are singing. It's just like your voice. So you can rate us on Spotify. Um, (laughs) Be sure to leave a five-star rating for us. That helps. (laughs) Mm, It's true. Sometimes it's about how it sounds, but sometimes it's about how it it feels and what what function it's serving. Um, Oh, Jill, I'm so touched by so much of what you say and I suppose where my mind goes when I hear you say these things, is, is paradigm shift. And I want to reference here the work of Charles Eisenstein, and he says we, we've been in um, a story of separation, separation from our bodies, separation from the earth, and, and really in separation from those two things, and in many ways in separation from one another. Um, and in that separation, we get severed from the nourishment there, in the nourishment of our bodies, of the earth, of one another. And so we're kind of starving, and in our starving, we're reaching out for the phone, the chocolate, the weed, the or or, or instead of reaching out, we're we're. I don't really understand anorexia myself, but it's like it seems to fit in a kind of a severance from nourishment and a kind of perversifying mm-hmm. of the relationship with the body and with healthy nourishment digestion receiving the fruits of the earth, pooing out compost matter, you know, yeah. and being in this, being in this living <clears throat> system. Um, and another theorist, Dieter Doom, he calls this the, the fear, violence, trauma matrix. And he says it's like 5,000 years old and everything from like the World Bank and the IMF and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the military industrial complex to anorexia, addiction, mm-hmm. depression, um, 
are, are evidence, are symptoms of this kind of self-perpetuating matrix of violence, trauma, and fear. Yeah. Um, and what Dieter Doom says is like, we have to unhook from that and hook into what he calls the sacred matrix, the matrix of belonging in the natural mm -hmm. um, web of things and the life that, that we flow and the nourishment webs within that, the nourishment we feel making eye contact, sharing these, these words in this mm -hmm. moment and um, the nourishment of just feeling your own voice vibrate in your body or um, having a sense of the of the sentience and the sacredness of the earth or the, the trees or wherever yes. you are. Um, and Charles Eisenstein calls that um, the story of interbeing. Mm. And, and what <clears throat> these thinkers and many others say is, if, is we're in a time of paradigm shift where the kind of the story of separation paradigm is reaching loudly its kind of, uh, you know, possibly it's death throes, possibly it's just bad and it's gonna stay bad. For, who knows what's gonna happen? Yeah. But it's it, this kind of sense of like mass dysfunctionality that's putting life on earth in in peril. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's, there's many species have gone extinct, many, many, and humans might be on the list at some future time. And it's and it's a trajectory that we're in. And so it's terrifying. And <clears throat> I think in in my I'm 40 now, I think in my lifetime as a Brit, we've had less um, kind of top level obfuscation around climate change. I think mm -hmm. in the US, you've had more investment going into climate denial from the oil companies and stuff. So Britain's been a bit more straight talking at government and media and schools and what have you about climate change. And I think America's had a different scene. So Britain's taken a kind of practical engineering kind of carbon targets, budgets, blah, blah, blah. And America, some states have taken that approach. Some businesses have taken that approach. But the federal government, particularly now, is taking like a, a kind of a denial and horror approach. Even then, it's like this kind of numbers and carbon targets. It has its place. But really, I feel, and, and Charles and Dieter and various other people, Joanna Macy, Bill Plotkin, these people I'm influenced by... <clears throat> I feel and they agree that the way home is like more intimate mm -hmm. than carbon targets. It's, it's, it's that this arm of mine is nature, like is my first piece of nature to love and inhabit and care for. And, and when it's numb or when it's hurting, there's a reason why and its natural state isn't to be numb and isn't to hurt. It's to be a, a source of pleasure. And I can just feel the pleasure in my mm -hmm. body now. And... It's like there is an eros in ecology. Like, and by eros, I don't mean like the limits of human sexuality. I mean like, I mean the kind of sensuality of life mm -hmm. and the flows of the water and the blossoming of the flowers and the smell of the nectar and the attraction of the bees and, and all the things, you know, and human sexuality is a part of that wider, uh, what we might call it kind of ecology of eros. And... And so, honestly, I feel when we improvise, it's like our voice can kind of articulate some of those flows of, of life and her yumminess and her bounty or his bounty. Why just use the female pronoun? Like life and, it, and the bounty of life. Oh, I'm getting lost in my own words. What am I saying? We fall back in love with ourselves, with one another, with our bodies, with... Um, with the earth, with mm -hmm. nature, with place, with stewardship, with tending, with care, and 
all of these things. And it's and it's a really like um, a paradigm shift mm-hmm. um, from every level to our to what's happening in our kind of consciousness, our minds, what's happening in how we relate to each other, our, our somatic experience as well as politics, economics, mm-hmm. and and even like the military mm-hmm. realm. You know, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm I'm wondering about um, doing this kind of work, and you've probably done this work out in nature. But there's a movement now, you know, forest bathing, which some people giggle about. But I mean, honestly, I really think that's a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> doing forest baths and combining that with doing vocal improv, and, and you know, maybe there are people who realize that maybe they don't really like nature they don't like hiking they don't like being you know maybe people like lying on the beach or whatever but maybe there's ways that people don't feel that connected to nature and might be willing to um, be moved into that place the vocal improv even you know you know that there are other people you're going to be doing this activity and then when you're in that place and you're opening into that sacred space and there's nature around you it's yeah you kind of say oh hi yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that happened anyway. for me and yeah in my summer retreats i often call them singing the land rewilding the voice and we do a lot of cuz also the the land can be a really good studio you know people go out into the forests and disperse and then make any kind of sounds mm-hmm. and like let that voice out of its box and see what they find and express the gunk and what have you and the joy and the, and the power and the hugeness of, of mm-hmm. a voice. Um, so nature can be a really good studio. And um, as I say, yeah, improvisation is a, is a technology back into relating because yes. it leaves room for the other. And it, um, so a lot of people have the experience of like the earth singing through them or the water singing through them or the trees singing through mm-hmm. them and... That's yeah. That's totally part of it. I don't know if we're going to do that on our course, Jill. It's quite. Mm. It's quite well, wintry. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's wintry here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's kind of short. Hmm. Let's see. But I might give it <laughs> to you as homework. Se- like, seasonal. go find a wood where you feel safe and start mm. singing and see what happens. Yeah, and I might like to. I don't know. <clears throat> maybe just be um, a rock and sing as a rock. Express myself as yeah. a rock or a leaf. Or right. Yeah. And then if you listen to rocks, the way that we li- the deep listening, that the way you listen within when you sing or the way we listen to one another when we sing just to say that bit of quiet and loud singing that wasn't like a listening practice that was just a kind of expression practice yeah we yeah um when you listen to rock like that like the songs from the rocks that you 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 know you never know that the songs you rocks you feel like you discern that that come up in your human imagination and out mm-hmm. your voice it's like in a lot of spiritual traditions, rocks are the minerals. They're the long-term memory of the earth. You know, the trees come and go, the soils mm-hmm. move around, but the rocks hold the long-term memory, the ancestry, the storyline. And, yeah, it's like with that state of listening, the more it develops, the, it's like the more you... Yeah. It feels like you can tap into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And luckily, for some reason, I don't know, I do have an ability to suspend my need to know whether this is actually what the rock is saying or Mm. not because you know that's part of it you can feel like oh well how do you know that's what the rock is saying or whatever but it's easy for me to suspend that and just kind of let go and yeah yeah 
You're in a beautiful place for that, Jill. I mean, it's all right, true. I'm going to bear this in mind when I give out my name. Or even, what, we've got another we week. We have a great workshop we space here. We we've do. done plenty yep. of workshops here. But, but also going outside and going into the woods. You know, we've got another week of your 10 minutes a day freezing. You could, you yeah. could do it outside. That's I might write that to idea. everybody. That's Take it outside idea. if you can. Yeah, yeah. cool. cool. <laughs> what else? It's so oh, deep. Yes. Thank you for your thank you for your courage and your vulnerability there, Jill. Mm. Mm. And I'm glad, thank you know, I'm glad you found found your way through that. Yes, mm-hmm. thank you. Me too. Might see what comes up with this because I had a question for you before we started talking and now I feel like the question doesn't really serve much of a purpose here, but I was curious if you had any sort of uh, mental concepts you use when you sing, if you have any sort of like visual tools you ever use. I know that's probably more of like a um, less of vocal improvisation thing because it almost seems like you're trying to use as little as you can aside from just listening. But that was sort of a question I had coming in today and maybe that's a little more of a classical, you know. Yeah, I don't. Sometimes imagery comes up in the singing, but I don't, I don't like start with imagery and then try and bring music to it. Like sometimes I, I well, often I, um, you know, if I'm doing like, um, <clears throat> well, I guess in my practice I distinguish between like what I call conscious practice and surrender practice. So with conscious practice, I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to. Right sing in the Dorian mode or play with chromatics or sing at like 120 beats per minute or whatever, or use 16th notes or whatever, you know, and in surrender practice, it's just an empty space right. and I'm just seeing whatever comes. So I suppose the way I interpret your question, it's like sometimes in conscious practice, yes. I'll say, okay, now try and use this, you know, yeah, this mode absolutely. or this, you okay. know, or try and move between like three, four and four, four and kind of, sing polyrhythmically or whatever or sing in seven or whatever, you know, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Okay. In fact, I just heard <laughs> Snarky Puppy uh, today on Tiny Desk Concert where mm. they had, um, the, they, they um, Michael, the bass player who's, you know, the leader there, he, he said, let's turn the cameras around onto the audience because there were apparently a bunch of interns that were working. So there was a, uh, more people and he said let's uh do a polyrhythm so he had you know part of the room doing doing clapping to three and part of the room clapping to four <clears throat> and then um they they did this long piece and everybody was able at the certain points to you know to hold their parts of yeah four four and three four it was really fun to see that audience participation and i think you know some of the artists these days are they're really engaging the audience more. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's more focus on, you know, that audience participation to get that feeling of oneness, which is wonderful. Yeah. I agree. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I just made a note of that. I'm going <laughs> to check it out. <laughs> that does sound cool. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah so, I, well, you, I, I'm curious about... Um, how you have learned to structure your workshops or, and, or how do you structure you know, your workshops, where you've gotten some of the practices from, and um, if you could just say anything about that. Yeah, oh, I'm, a, I'm a thief caught red-handed. <laughs> <laughs> um, a huge source of my teaching is um, an amazing 
musician artist teacher called Rhiannon who lives in Hawaii and she's really like I don't know, the grandmother of vocal improvisation at this point. She's done such amazing work in her career. So several of the forms I teach, I borrow from her. Um, bunch I take from what we've invented with the elements together in our work. Um, some stuff I've invented, and it's just come like through teaching, like, oh, we need a thing like this. Let's call it rolling pebble. Or, oh, well, now we need this approach. Or, mm -hmm. you know, the resonant body form for, like, coming into the full resonance of your body. Like, I suppose that, if I was going to trademark anything, and there isn't really a culture of trademarking in vocal improv, but mm -hmm. if I was going to, like, trademark anything, I'd trademark the resonant body as, as, as my development, let's say. And then it's, like, borrowing from, you know, borrowing from my somatic trauma therapist Sarah Teesman like all the stuff around like pausing and settling and grounding and co-regulation like yep. that's all in the kind of Ray Castellino Peter Levine lineage yes. that's coming in and then there's um, an amazing woman called Melissa Michaels who I'm doing this Soma Source sort of spiritual leadership training with mm -hmm. her I've been on her dance floor for about eight years and she uses improvised movement for healing initiation personal growth prayer all the rest and so um I kind of borrow from some of what she does with movement and, and apply it with groups and with voice. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's quite a mishmash mm -hmm. of sources. A lovely mishmash. A, it's a lovely <laughs> mishmash. And I suppose this is what teachers do. You know, you study with the teachers yes. you fall in love with. Yes. You take That's what right. really touches you from their work, you mash it together with the other things, and mm -hmm. then there's your unique yeah. teaching basket, yes. I would say. Totally. Um, and then, yeah, how to structure it. Ooh, I suppose that's just from... I've taught a lot at this point. So, um, yeah, it's partly experience, partly plan, and partly feeling into it. Like, oh, now we need something like this. Oh, now it's time for something restful. Mm -hmm. Oh, now we can, we're resourced and let's do some challenging chops work. And now there's a lot of an emotion in the room. Let's make some room for that. And it's that kind of attunement. There's mm -hmm. a, you know, that listening, the improvisation yes. builds. Then helps you listen to a group and exactly. like to yes. kind of sense into what's needed yes. so it's just like music like what wants to happen now yes. what wants to happen now yes, exactly. yeah. yeah yeah I sense that about you and I really 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 appreciate that there's a lot of flexibility and your own creative you know creativity and ideas coming out of uh connecting with what's happening in the room and um yeah I really really appreciate that mm. yeah I was hoping to talk about um a little of your time in India, kind of studying abroad and what that experience was like as well. I'm just really curious about that. Mm. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Yeah, of course. So after the aforementioned Kim brought Indian yeah. approach to singing to Buddhafield Festival in England when I was about 20, 19 or 20, she said, hey, in Varanasi people do this they go out at the end of the day you know after work and sit in town squares and just chant together and sing together and I was like one day I'll go there mm -hmm. so when I was 28 I did and the first thing I did was study yoga for a month at the Iyengar Institute there and um halfway through it was the Iyengar Institute's 35th birthday so they had a concert and uh, a violinist called Atul Kumar Upadhyay um, did the concert and I, <laughs> I just submitted my PhD application to Cornell University to study post-capitalist models of business ownership and finance. Wow. Um, <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. how do we have a free market and innovation and entrepreneurship without creating a stock market which 
is is extractive and exceeds Earth's carrying capacity. And and so that was my question. And I just like submitted my application. And it had been such a marathon. And I and I like sat down for the concert, like exhausted, having slept for about 24 hours after. And and I was like, right, okay, I've done it. It's in the references are done. I've done my GRE. I've done it, you know. Okay, I give it away now. Whatever happens, happens. And um, and then I kind of slumped in a kind of silence. And this little voice said, "Yes, but what of the great eastern sun?" And I was like, "Huh?" Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, then, and then the music started playing, and it was a tool playing violin and improvising with you know a, a small ensemble. And within minutes, tears were rolling down my face. And then before very long. I was I was sort of back in that dissolved space, that trance space, and, and this time it wasn't from everybody seeing; it was just from listening. And the concert happened, and at the end, we all kind of came back to earth. And I turned to my friend and roommate who was sitting next to me, and she said, "He just sent us up there, pointing to the to the sky." And it was like, yeah. And so, um, so I went up to him at the end and I said, you've just become my favorite musician in the world. And he was like, oh, no, no, no. I said, no, I, I'm a musician. I and then I said, hey, I'm on a quest. I want to find the people who sing in the, in the town squares at the end of the day and this chanting and I'm looking for a singing teacher. And he said, come to my house tomorrow. And so, <laughs> so I went to his house tomorrow and he said, we chatted and he said, sing me a song. And so I... <laughs> quite nervously and that time, you know my degrees in political science and all through my 20s I was working in environmental organizations and very heady laptop you know all of that singing was this kind of thing on the side so I sort of sat there quite nervously and sort of sang a Gaelic song mm -hmm. and then he said I will be your teacher so I was like okay <laughs> and he, he taught me like I was a violin and and Every day I went to like yoga at the institute and then everybody else, all the yogis like stayed there and practiced the yoga. And I got in a rickshaw, went across town and went to a tools house every day. Oh my. Wow. And he would keep taking his students. He had his like, his kind of reception room and his teaching room. And he just would plant me in his teaching room, teach his regular students. And while they were practicing or something, he'd just kind of come in and, and listen to what, what I'm doing at the door. And then he'd come in and say, very good, very good, carry on. Or no, you've got it wrong here's, you know, the correction, or, okay, you're done, now you're ready for this bit, and then mm -hmm. give me another morsel, and then shut the door and go back. And I was happy as a pig in shit. <laughs> I, was like, I was just, I was just on fire with happiness. So, so I studied with him like that for three months, and then, and then he said, you know, come back for a year, and we'll turn you into an Indian classical vocalist. And I sort of thought about it because I'd really, he became like my musical dad or my guru or something. I really fell in a kind of teacher love with him. But I thought, no, I don't want to become one of those Western women who's like dressed up in Indian garb and can only sing with Indian musicians. I want to, I want to keep these principles of improvisation and spirituality. But how do I do that as a Western, as a Westerner and collaborating with other Westerners? Um, yeah. So then I came back to Britain and planned to do all this stuff and didn't do anything and felt shit about it. <laughs> and I went for a walk with my friend Charlie, who's a, is a Buddhist. And he said, you know, in Buddhism, they say to have a practice, you need Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. You need a teacher, um, a curriculum and a community. He said, so don't be hard on yourself if you don't have any of those things, you know. Don't be hard on yourself if you're not actually doing anything. Um, 
And so I was like, well, where do we have it in the West? And I thought, well, we have jazz. So I went to the London Guildhall and did like a jazz week-long summer school. And honestly, like, I ran screaming from that. Like, mm. it didn't have this kind of emergent, safe, compassionate, spiritual... <laughs> no. No. <laughs> it, was, it was not that. And by the end, I was going to the park and crying, just mm. like, yeah, this isn't my home. Um, yeah, then I... I found a man in France called David Eskenazi, and that oh, yeah. worked. I wanted to ask you about that because yeah. I think a number of years ago, maybe six years ago, I, I saw a video of him teaching. I believe it was him, and I thought, oh, my God, I'd love to do that program. You would. You should. You could go to France one year and study. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see about that. Maybe next summer. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Um, he's a carrier. You know, he spent his teenage years getting stoned with his friends and like saying, playing the game of like, let's do what Bobby McFerrin does, mm -hmm. like in in Paris, um, in his parents' basement or whatever. Um, yeah, so he is uh, by training, he's a double bass player and a guitarist, like really good, really mm -hmm. good. And he's very like advanced on his chops. He's he's like supremely excellent at those sorts of things mm -hmm. and so he's carved out a niche teaching musical chops to professional and kind of senior amateur singers mm -hmm. um, and people come from all over to study with him he's really good at, at those things and yeah so I, I went on a, a week-long course with him and on like the second or the third day when he started and that was it man. he started to teach chops through the voice the ear and the body you know yeah. there's no dots involved it was just and I remember sitting in the in the in this beautiful stone room in the south of France and it was like this little doorway and my heart just opened up and inside there was an ocean and it was the scale of my desire for this learning and it was just and I kind of started to cry a little bit and then had to pull myself together because yep. that's not a space that you cry yeah, in you yeah. know it's like it's your right it's the music room it's yes. not the temple yes. and so yeah so I studied with him for a couple of years and um yeah and then went on to study with Bobby McFerrin and then with Rhiannon so it was this kind of like multi-year journey from teacher to teacher mm -hmm. um yeah mm. yeah I changed yeah, country, I got married, I moved to America. I, I mean, it was ultimate disruption on my life. <laughs> Are you still married? No, we oh, divorced. Okay. Sadly, but yeah, there it is. Wow. What an well, incredible this is, journey. Yeah, <laughs> this has been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Bryony, is there anything else before we close that you would like to share with us or Ooh. say anything? We have a final question. Oh, that's yet, right. Actually. All right. Thank yeah. you, Daniel. Go yeah. for it. Oh, we'll okay. The question, question to you is if you have a musical fantasy of some sort. So, you know, for example, maybe playing on stage somewhere or in your case, singing with a certain person or just having a certain experience, anything related to music, what might that be? It's the musical fantasy question. And everyone <laughs> grin yeah, makes that face <laughs> when we ask them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have, oh, it's like, it's, yeah, no, it's moved on. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I want to I wanna create a space in Wales called the Regenerative Music Institute. And what I imagine it being is, you know, um, a nice practice studio and then some smaller studios and really this, like, abundance of, like, a lot of musicians around, a lot of through flow, a lot of 
connection and collaboration and jamming and learning and teaching and peer learning and teaching mm. and there being singing around the fires and people to play with who are like actually physically there <laughs> and like available yeah. <laughs> and that we're not alone and it's not us and the computer or I don't know like it's great going into the studio and it seems to cost about a thousand dollars a day and it's like cool that's a very rare peak experience but it's like to live in like musical community um and it's and it, i'm actually i'm gonna have a go nice <laughs> like, i like yeah. making it and where we're and then where it's linked into like paradigm shift and eco village and growing our yeah. food and having it mm -hmm. you know any renewable energy on site so we're resilient for what may come in future times and it's okay to have children and yeah. and and have a sense like yeah you might be safe for a lifetime here and um yeah and i feel with the regenerative music institute it's like regenerating our cultural capacity to be musical because i feel there's so many voices that are kind of stuffed down so many instruments getting dusty under a bed and we we have so much suffering around music we have so much like oh, I'm not good enough, my mm -hmm. voice is horrible, blah, blah, blah. And to actually somehow try and liberate it and that just we, we have a musical culture. Singing is there from the get-go, from childhood up. You know, we gather around fires, we sing, we hear, we listen. It's coming into our ears all the time. There's people you can just sit next to and learn from and, and that music is woven into our life. That is beautiful. <laughs> oh my God, I want to be part of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Set it here, dream. so it's happening. That is okay. Set it here. Yep. Yeah, keep me posted. Good. Posted. Yeah. yeah, I'm currently raising my first nice. $1.5 million to Ooh. buy the land and get the planning permission and found the organization and all that. I'm working on it. Yeah. So is there a way that people can uh, you know, support you or find out oh. more about that or connect with you around that? Um. Yeah, come to my website, drop me an email and, you know, express interest and we can be in touch. Yes. Mm. Speaking of which, your website URL, let's, let's kind of shout that out real quick. www.bryonygreenhill.com, B-R-I-O-N-Y, yes. Greenhill. Awesome. And you also have bios on there yeah. and yeah. a way to contact you. Cool. Um, are you on Instagram? Yeah, I was going to ask anything else. I am know. sort of. It's oh, okay. kind of sort of my assistants on there for me. I'm really on Facebook. Okay. That's my kind Good. of social media home. Yeah. Great. Yeah. If people want to hear more about what you do and your music, is that uh, your website is probably the best place for that? Website, or? yeah. I've got two albums coming out in 2020. Um, on my website, you can sign up to my mailing list and mm. then I, I let people know when things are happening. And I, yeah, I teach awesome. courses usually West Coast America. At the moment, I teach in California and Washington and um, Britain. I'm a horrible flyer. I have all these ecological values and then I get on airplanes and it's like, yeah, it's the imperfection of my life at the moment. But, but yeah. Well, we all have that. We, <laughs> we all have something. <laughs> and I'm glad you're here. Yeah, yeah, I know I do. Yeah, yeah. Well, once again, thank you so much, Bryony. Oh, thank you so much for having me and your <laughs> lovely questions. And it's been a real, real pleasure to Pleasure is ours today. Thank it's you. been Absolutely. delightful. Yeah. yeah. And blessings on this podcast and what you're up to. And mm. I'm curious to hear more. And thank yeah. You. And to you as well. Mm. Blessings on your uh, future. I mean, just what you told us a second ago. I'm really excited. Yeah. I'd love Yay. to see that come cool. to fruition. That would be very just. One of the greatest things. So. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> maybe so. Yeah, no, not yes. maybe so. Absolutely so. <laughs> oh, oh, thank you. I feel like we should like turn off the recording and have a sing. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. That sounds good to me. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, uh, listeners, for tuning in. We wish that you could join us here right now in the living room and have a sing with us. Yeah. We hope you've enjoyed our meaningful musical conversation and um, have uh, a wonderful day evening or moment <laughs> yeah if you're listening in the car be sure to roll down those windows and sing as loudly and as freely as you can to all the neighboring cars at the uh, stoplight that can you're at. we end with a really funny story yes yeah. please I was at my friend's house and I walked out the door and down the road and there were builders on the roof and one of them had um a stereo playing and it was like total eclipse of the heart and as I walked out he'd been singing he'd been singing long and then he saw me and he went really quiet so I started to sing <laughs> and then he started to sing turn around yeah. and I was walking over and going every now and then <laughs> I love it let's have it builders and pedestrians yeah. singing duets singing together yes. here we go Right, make it happen, folks. Yeah, yep. till next time. Yep, we'll see, see you guys. Ya. Bye. Bye.